Filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. If you need legal representation on employment issues, including wage and hour disputes, discrimination and harassment claims, wrongful termination, you need help with a severance package or non-compete clauses, or you just need equal employment opportunity and civil rights representation, general civil litigation, or even defamation, the Ehrlich Law Office has you covered if you are in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia. For a free consultation, head over to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. The water softener was was fine for for like a year um, after being replaced, and it inexplicably just stopped working. I've been like taking it apart, and it's all the the inside of this. It's a, it's I don't know much about the softening of water. I don't know much about a lot of things, <laughs> but what I do know is that if you've got a box full of water and salt, you shouldn't have exposed metal parts near the salt in the water, and it's just all exposed metal parts. So everything has, like, a, a layer of rust or, like, is entirely made of rust. Um, so there's a bunch of, like, stripped screw heads and, like, popped-off uh, screw head tops, and I still can't get the thing to work, and it's ruining everything. I was kind of hoping you'd go on for another couple minutes. I was just going to let you go on as long I as mean, you could. I mean, I could tell you piece by piece what I've taken apart <laughs> trying to fix it, but I, I feel like that would be... Perhaps a bad podcast. Yeah, I think I would be regretting that decision very quickly. Mm -hmm. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I am Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. Plus this week we have a very special guest we will get to in just a second. The three of us are from blackandredunited.com. That's where you can find us writing about DC United, MLS in general, the U.S. national teams, and lots more. We've got a good show for you tonight. We're going to start off talking about the Gold Cup. And then we will get to a preview of DC United's trip this weekend, Saturday, 9 p.m., to FC Dallas down. Clap, 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 clap in the heart of Texas. Before we get to any of that, though, Ben, what are you drinking tonight? So it's been a uh, season of going back to traditional things that I've had on previous podcasts. And I realized I hadn't gone to an old standby in quite a long time. So I have some uh, Evan Williams single barrel just... uh, Neat, and as always, it is delicious. Great. Jason, whatever that ungodly noise coming from your computer is, uh, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm alarmingly similar to Ben. Uh, I have Evan Williams Single Barrel, but I made it into an old-fashioned. Um, so uh, I guess it's a little fancier, but you guys know me. It's the most stripped-down old-fashioned that is possible. There's no fruit. Um, and I used a crab mallet instead of a uh, proper muddling device. Excellent. I think that makes it more Maryland somehow. More Maryland, less fancy. Um, I'm really glad I didn't go with, with bourbon, especially Evan Williams, because that would make this a really boring segment. I went with uh, some Old Tom Jim and some uh, sweet vermouth, and I made a Martinez cocktail, a very old cocktail related to the, the martini and the Manhattan. Um, now it's time to introduce our very special guest, Sebastian Salazar from CSN Mid-Atlantic is here with us tonight. Sebastian, welcome to the show. What are you drinking? 
Uh, glad to be here. Well, I was going to be drinking this Leinenkugel grapefruit shandy that a buddy of mine left in my fridge, but I actually just tried it, and I don't like it, so I'm switching to a, uh, a local. I'm going local. Heavy seas, smooth sail. So hopefully I like this, and uh, and this can be the one. I'll have to leave this for somebody else. Excellent. Uh, I I appreciate both your your honesty, your flexibility, and the sound effect of opening a can of beer on the show. That sounded wonderful. I'm yeah, drinking already, and it made me even thirstier than I already am. Yeah, something about grapefruit and beer that maybe just wasn't well thought out. Yeah, I'm sure some people enjoy it. I'm, I've never been one for shandies, personally. Even the, the classic lemonade in beer has never been, been my bag. Um, I like lemonade. I like beer. I just like them separately. All right, guys, let's get to the show. Gold Cup 2015 is well underway. Um, we're opting for willful obsolescence tonight, recording just less than an hour, basically, before the USA takes the field against Panama in their final group game. But that's okay, because this game doesn't matter at all to the U.S. They've already clinched the top spot in Group A after wins over Honduras and Haiti. Underwhelming, they may have been. Uh, I, I have to say, yay, winning the group. That's what you set out to do. It might not be a given anymore. We'll talk about that a little more in a minute. But as tentative as Jurgen Klinsmann's side has looked, uh, especially against Honduras, they were even worse against Haiti. Uh, ben, what what is wrong with the U.S.? What do you make of this? I mean, it's uh, it seems like uh, Klinsman is trying to shoehorn a system that has worked sometimes for the U.S. the the diamond midfield, but uh, Michael Bradley isn't a number ten, and so shoehorning him in there uh, is difficult and. The wide players that Klinsman has uh, tried to fit into this diamond as well, they're not traditional diamond wide midfielders. They're good wide midfielders, but you have a little different you, – you have different roles in a, in a diamond midfield, and so it's all kinds of out of whack. And Josie Altidore hasn't looked great. I mean, he just came back from injury uh, for his club team, so it's not that surprising, but it's just been a confluence of factors, and – Klinsman not straying from what he's going with uh, hasn't helped that at all. Sevi, is this the USA kind of the, the men doing their best impression of Jill Ellis's women team and kind of just sandbagging it through the group stage to turn it on in the, the knockouts? Or, I mean, they, they've gotten the job done. They've already clinched first place in the group. They just haven't looked good doing it, kind of like the women in the group stage of the World Cup. Yeah, it's a fair comparison just – based alone on competition, right? I mean, it's difficult for, for us to get a fair measuring stick to really measure what the U.S. is doing against Haiti. Um, I'm watching that game not dissimilar in like, what I saw from Mexico against Guatemala. In the end, a bit more disappointing, but just games where the dominant team um, owns possession, runs the game, and yet doesn't really create the danger in the final third. And so much of that, I think, is what you're seeing from an opponent. Like, Haiti's going to do what they're going to do um, and and they have no impetus to allow the U.S. to to spread out to run at them um, and and to have a go. So I I was wasn't so disappointed in the U.S. to be honest. I I actually thought that the Honduras game was was decent. I saw some things, but again, I, I really like the point about Michael Bradley. He's such a good player, and yet um, his the inability to find the right position for him or a consistent role for him, I think haunts this U.S. team. I think until your best player has their best role, 
will not see this team at its best. And that, to me, is what I've felt was lacking in the U.S., that the final third, the ability to really connect, to, 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 to break down a defense in the final, that's the toughest thing to do. So if you can't do that, um, and if you don't have guys that are, that are capable of that or that are in the optimal position to be that dangerous, and you've got a team with 10 guys behind the ball, no matter how much better you are, the results you're going to get are, are one nothing, 2 nothing, and they're, they're going to be ugly. That's, that's Gold Cup. That's CONCACAF. Jason, how much of this, especially the Bradley issue, is, is down to Klinsman's inflexibility? Tactically, I mean, we we saw him. the 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 goal against Haiti came when Jassy Zardes came in. They they finally got the ball wide and sent him in behind. He cut it back for Dempsey to score his third of the tournament. I mean, Dempsey's having himself a good tournament, but with Michael Bradley so high, he doesn't necessarily have the same spaces he's he's created with in the past, and he's not there to make that late run into the box. I'm not calling for him to be in the Beckerman role. I'm just not convinced that the diamond is is so important to use that we should be married to it, especially since Klinsman seems to throw it out in the second half anyway. I mean, let's not forget it wasn't that long ago when the U.S. didn't play a diamond against the Netherlands and Germany, and yes, it's a friendly, and those teams were playing wide-open soccer because, of, of course, you're the Netherlands and Germany, you think you can attack everyone. Um, but the system worked in those games for the U.S., and they weren't playing... Uh, the diamond. The diamond has worked from time to time, but I, I, it's been a weird mix of players being tried in unusual roles. I think Klinsman wants to experiment so much that he's unwilling to settle. I think um, Sebi touched on the consistency with Bradley, and I think it kind of it goes through the whole team. I mean, Zardes and Yedlin played as as the wide midfielders in the opening game, and they both want to stay out on the touchline, and it's a diamond. You can't you can't do that, especially on both flanks. You hardly get away with it on one flank, much less two. Um, and then in this game, we saw sort of an overcompensation. Zussi sort of took up pretty acceptable positions, I guess is the best. I don't want to praise anyone for the first half of that game. Um, <laughs> but when um, with Disgrude, it was like he didn't know where to be. And, it, and I'm sure he was told where to be, but I'm sure a lot of it also was – it almost seemed like he got conflicting information and was just sort of trying to make two different – world's uh, match uh, and there were times where it was like everyone else was in a, a spot where you more or less expect them and then Discord was like 5 to 10 yards too far inside or too far up the field um, so there was a lot of confusion uh, watching that group against Haiti and I would hope that it's all experimenting based on um, almost scrapping the idea of playing well as a group and just saying which individuals are going to do things that I want them to do. And then with the, the you can drop um, up to six players, though I, I think the dropping of Davis may have counted as one. I'm not even sure about CONCACAF anymore with their regulations. But they can add some players that were on the thir- list of um, the, the preliminary list and drop some guys, and I think that might be coming. I mean, partially they should do it just because of the fact it's a summer tournament with games every three days. It's a ridiculous setup, but we're kind of used to ridiculous schedules around here. Um, But, I mean, the other thing is, like, certain players are... I mean, I can see the idea of almost using the group stage as a tryout because you say, well, of course, we've got enough skill to win these games without necessarily being at our best, but it sort of sets guys up to fail. Um, if Discord really did... I mean, it could be that Discord got perfectly clear instructions and just didn't follow them correctly, and it's on him. Um, we'll never know that, most likely. 
But well, uh, given Klinsman's history, the, the odds of that are pretty slim. Right, but I just want to be as fair as possible. And it could be that he's telling them like a really good set of things to do, and the players are just going out there and not doing it for reasons unknown. Um, I, I can only hope that tonight's game is a step forward in terms of a cohesive plan. I'd like to see one wide player. If we're going to play the diamond and um, stick with it throughout the tournament, then at least move to having one real shuttler um, in a wide role rather than having two out-and-out wingers or two out-and-out, um, I, I wouldn't even call a Discord's not running. He's sort of a shuttler. He's done it before, but in the last performance, he looked like he wanted to play purely as a central midfielder. It's been confusing, but, I mean, this is the U.S. under Klinsman. It's always kind of confusing. So talk about the that weird CONCACAF roster switch that they're allowed to do going into the group stage. I. Uh, DC United had two players on the the provisional roster who didn't make the final cut and who are therefore eligible to to come in. Bill Hamid, we know now, we'll talk about it later. Uh, he's injury right now, so he will not be called into the national team during the Gold Cup. But Perry Kitchen might, especially with some of the the criticism Beckerman's received. He's he's looked older than he did in the World Cup, and he hasn't been covering as much ground. Sebi, do you think? Kitchen is is an option for Klinsman uh, to come in for the knockout stage, or is he just going to run Beckerman into the ground? I think, in my opinion, look, I don't know that I wouldn't run Perry out over Kyle Beckerman, but I just don't know that in the middle of a tournament that's uh, and obviously it's it's allowed within the rules, but I just don't know that that that's the move. If you had thought that, if you had that doubt, if you had that idea, you should have rode with Perry from the beginning, you know, and, and especially when you see Beckerman. Uh, given a chance in the starting lineup, I, I just obviously there's criticism. I think there's kind of always been criticism of of Kyle Beckerman. There's some things about his game that are just generally I think divisive. Um, he doesn't check all the boxes for some people in that spot. So um, I, I I don't know that I I would expect Perry to get a call. I don't know that I would really expect any of the um, provisional folks to get a call. I think you you go to the tournament with your squad, despite um, what the the competition or the or the, the federations allow you to do. Um, it's interesting the point about using the group phase as a testing ground. I think that's a recipe for disaster. I mean, you you have the United States has no shortage of friendlies to to try guys out. To um, you have to find even if it's against Haiti and even if the competition isn't going to be the same as what you'd see in semifinal or final or maybe even a quarterfinal, depending on what the draw is. You have to get your back four solidified, playing together, playing in these tournaments, playing with these officials, right? They have to understand what's happening. And I, I don't know that, that this group phase and this approach is allowing for any continuity to be built, definitely not on the back line and certainly not between Guzan and his, and his, and his defending four, but between the, in midfield. I mean, we see two to three guys that are in the same, that you're seeing, you know, guaranteed starters. And I think at this point, like, you just ought to be way further along than that. And, and that's not to, you know, it's it's difficult at this moment to criticize Klinsman, but... Um, oh, I don't think it's I, ever all that difficult. I know, I know, but, it's, but if we look, if we're, if you look, if we get to a final or a semifinal and there's a poor performance, uh, we're going to look back at this group phase and everyone's going to point to what what are we experimenting now for? This is what, this is the thing that matters most. Yeah, and, and some details on this. Klinsman rotated his entire back four against Haiti. Yeah. There were zero starters on the defense who right. carried over from, from the Honduras game. And then I think three other field players 
also rotated out. And then Altidore only played a half against Haiti, and he was not very good in that half. Clint Dempsey's literally borne the entire goal-scoring burden for the U.S. He has all three goals for the team in this tournament. Ben can... I mean, Dempsey's hot right now. He's... He, he's about at the top of his game. Can we keep relying on him, or do we need someone else to figure out how to get the ball into the net? This I mean, is a I'm, really easy question. This yeah. is a softball right yeah. over the plate. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, somebody else needs to start scoring goals. It has to be uh, Josie or Aaron Johansson or Jesse Zardes or Michael Bradley even, uh, especially if he keeps playing a number 10 role. He should be should be expected to score some goals. But, yeah, obviously somebody has to figure it out, uh, and Klinsman has to put them into positions where they're best able to figure that out. And nobody's going to suggest... Well, people will suggest, but I'm not going to suggest benching Josie at this point because I still think he's he's a very good striker and probably the best in the U.S. pool, but... Something's got to happen, and there, there's got to be some sort of mix-up either in formation or in uh, tactics or in lineup that Klinsman has to make to shake something up. As usual, we're throwing up our hands at the end of a segment about Jurgen Klinsman's U.S. national team. I do want to talk about something else before we we switch over to, to to DC United and their their trip to Dallas, and that is Sebastian. Since we have you on, let's let's talk about Mexico a little bit. They they're in Group C. Do they we have, have to? Do we have to? I mean, they have this really they have this really pretty plus six goal differential, uh, <laughs> but only four points after drawing a ten man Guatemala side. What 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 happened there? You know, um, again. A, a, a direct comparison to the Haiti game. Uh, Guatemala sits back, does really well. Uh, Mexico was very poor in possession in in the in the Guatemalan uh, half. Like just passes that um, you know. To me, the players of this quality should be very well connected. Um, you know, I I do think the Mexican team is a little bit behind the U.S. in terms of uh, the build up. I think Copa America. Um, because, you know, the different team that was used and Miguel Herrera's, like, focus there, um, I, I think may have taken away a little bit from Mexico's overall preparation, you know, for, the, for, the, for this tournament, uh, which was the priority. Obviously, you can tell that in the rosters. But, um, you know, I just don't know that, that they came into this kind of at, at the same speed. You lose probably your best defender, Hector Moreno, and probably your best attacker in Chicharito, and... So there's some things to be worked out, but the, the issues to me are not the, the issues to me are in the buildup. You know, are, are in what you know what you're doing. Uh, you know, Cuba, whatever. You, you beat a bunch of amateurs six nothing. I, I wasn't disappointed in the result, but I wasn't impressed by it. Uh, it's what was supposed to happen. Uh, but to me, guys like Andres Guardado hitting the ball over from you know 20, 25 yards, like very. Uh, I hate to say it, but like juvenile stuff, and some of that may be the drop in competition. Uh, you're playing a team like Guatemala, you figure we've got 90 minutes, three goals will happen. And and unfortunately, you know, they didn't. There was some posts, there was some pressure, um, there was some bad luck for Mexico. But at the end of the day, uh, when you have the population advantage that Mexico has over Guatemala and the talent advantage, there's just no excuse uh, for tying that game. But credit to Guatemala. I think for me more, if, if I were watching that game as a neutral and I wasn't, um, 
I would be more proud of what Guatemala did than than disappointed in what Mexico did. I'm worried though as a Mexico fan. I mean, just in general, the United States results entering the tournament um, to me kind of made make the U.S. the the favorite over Mexico uh, pretty convincingly. Despite what we've seen, I think from both teams. Um, have been pretty lackluster through the first two games. There really has not been anything great. Even Mexico's six, uh, again, to me, not not impressive. Yeah, they Mexico has first place Trinidad and Tobago, which is not a phrase I'm used to saying. Uh, Wednesday night, uh, they can nip the group with a win. They're two points behind TNT right now. A win, and they win the group, and we're not – nobody's talking about Mexico being poor anymore. They're suddenly a, one of the seeded teams in the knockout stage, and – the U.S. has to beat them to guarantee their spot in the, the Confederations Cup. Sebi, one thing I want to ask you uh, to tie Mexico and D.C. United together a little bit, are there any players on this Gold Cup squad or, or otherwise in the Mexico pool that, that D.C. United should be looking at, especially since they have that new targeted allocation money, uh, special Garber coin, uh, that, that they might be able to tap into? Uh, or might not, depending on who you ask, if there's a secret rule about whether they have to use all their DP slots before they're allowed to tap into it. Regardless, is there anybody in the Mexico pool that they should be eyeballing to bring in this summer or, or next winter? So I would say this. Based on what I understand to be the economics of DC United currently, um, I, I, don't, I don't believe that there's anybody that, that DC United uh, financially could really pursue um, in, in the way that that the, the, the type of salary demands that that these players would would likely have, um, and I and I don't know that there's really a, a proper fit. I mean, uh, so many of the links now uh, with MLS and 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 Mexican national team players uh, because of this new rule, which really is something that has been floated around the league for a while. I remember having a conversation with somebody from the league maybe like two years ago about kind of an all-out pursuit on Mexican national team players. Um, but there's there's nobody to me. Like, I love Andres Guardado, but I don't know that that's realistic. You know, I don't know that that's a player financially that DC United could pursue. I think he's the type, though, that um, would really be a nice fit in DC United's midfield just because of his, his two-way ability, which mm-hmm. I, I think we have, to, we have to be honest here. You have to also find a, a Mexican player that fits what DC United is about, and that's also a thing, right? Ben yeah, also has a, has a very specific type of guy that, that, that he wants, that he craves. Guardado's one of the only guys in the Mexican pool midfield that I think fix that. Hector Herrera would be awesome, but that, that's not realistic at all. Guardado's one of those guys that maybe is kind of on the down, you know, the beginning of the down, um, at least in terms of his market value, maybe not on-field value. And so he's the type of guy that does the two-way work, um, smooth left foot, um, can just really create, um, and, and is not afraid to, to be an honest player, which Ben loves, and we know that. So uh, he'd be the one that I would say would be the most obvious fit. But realistically, no, I, I can't see anybody on this team a realistic summer target um, or even winter target for, for DC United at this point, just based on my understandings of where the club is financially. And that goes with a lot of things we've said on the show and on the site for, for the last little while um, until they move into that new building on Buzzard Point. Yeah. Yeah. Things are, are just a little bit dry. Uh, ben, Jason, anything you want to add? Or, or Sebi, anything else you want to add on the Gold Cup before we we take a quick break to refresh our drinks and, and switch over to D.C. United? 
I would say I would say one thing on on the on the the question about who's going to score goals. You know, to me, it's not about this. Should not be a referendum on guys like Josie and Aaron Johansson. Because I, I, to me, to me, the reason Dempsey's hot is because Dempsey is the type of player who doesn't not rely, but relies far less on the ten guys behind him to score. I think like Dempsey, you could put ten just a guys on the field and Dempsey would still create chances and be in the box and bad service or good service. He'd find a way to get on the end of it. That's why he's scoring. What really we should be talking about are the, are the, are the eight, nine guys behind the forwards. Josie's not, I think Josie really relies on service, really relies mm-hmm. on the build up play behind him. Johansson to me, same deal. So when we talk about those guys producing or being switched out or, 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 Really, to me, they're not the issue. Certainly not Josie. Josie's too good to be the issue. There are other guys that I have questions about. Josie, to me, is not the question. That's fair. I think I think just like you said with Mexico, the build-up plays a, a problem for the U.S. They had trouble with Honduras's pressure. They had trouble breaking down Haiti's uh, shell defense. They, they've been presented with two different challenges and haven't – I mean, they, they succeeded in both of them, but not with the – anything approaching flying colors um, just with the eyeball test, let alone other, other metrics. Uh, we will be right back to talk about DC United and FC Dallas. Uh, so we're going to refresh our drinks. We encourage you, whether you're listening to this at work or elsewhere to do the same, uh, stick around. This is filibuster, the black and red United podcast. Hey, Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, and yeah. Not, and you never, ever use the term correctly? Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly. Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly all the time. In fact, that is what they do. Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them? Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, they have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet. Uh, fine. So Ehrlich Law Office, it's, a, it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their, their main proprietor, Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine. His, one of their, their attorneys, Ben, uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and, and other places. So guys, for a free consultation, go to Ehrlich Law Office dot com slash filibuster. Welcome back. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Adam, Jason, and Ben, as always, joined by Seb Nasty himself, Sebastian Salazar, from Comcast Sportsnet Mid-Atlantic. Uh, we are now talking about DC United and FC Dallas. They, they take the field down in Frisco, Texas, Saturday, 9 p.m. That'll be on CSN and MLS Live if you are outside of the DMV. Uh, A little bit about Dallas. They're tied for first now in an incredibly tight Western Conference. I think two points separate first place from sixth place out West. Dallas has 32 points from 19 games. For comparison, DC United has 35 points from 21 games, so three more points, but Dallas has two games in hand. Dallas has won their last two over New England and a Kakalis and Kyle Larenless Orlando City. They won those two games by a combined five to nothing, which was nice for them after the six to two drubbing 
that, that Sporting Kansas City put on them just before that. Um, regardless, I think they're a team that's in form right now, and, and this is going to be a tough visit, especially uh, somewhat shorthanded as D.C. United will be. We'll talk about that in a second. Before that, I want to talk about uh, FC Dallas, though, and, and the fact that, Sebastian, unicorns are apparently real because Mauro Diaz is having himself a good year. Uh, that guy's so much fun to watch. Uh, you know, actually, between him and Fabian Castillo, there's an argument. Like, who is more fun to watch? I think it probably comes down to personal preference. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Diaz, Diaz was one of those weird guys that the second he came into MLS, like, it worked. You know, he had injury issues. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, maybe people forgot about him. He also played on Dallas, which this is what Dallas does. They, like, sprint out. They become their first place in the West. And then in September, they're like, barely hanging on to the fifth spot, if that. Yeah, they um, have their summer road trip, essentially, where everything goes to hell. And then they get back together in time for the playoffs and then do something bad to Seattle. But Diaz is an interesting character. It's an interesting test for United. And I don't know, I don't know which, in which manner United's going to deal with him. I remember the game against the crew, and I thought, man, DC really did an awesome job. Not just zero goals, zero assists, you know, limiting Federico Higuain, but... But minimizing his touches, um, and you know they're they're similar players to me. And then you know a guy like Sebastian Giovinco in the TFC game again. But but the the point is you want to limit those guys' touches, and DC could not limit him effectively uh, in the game at RFK anyway. So uh, to me, this is that type of test. Mauro Diaz is that type of guy. I don't know that you can limit the touches, Fabian, because he's going to get the ball. It's going to get out to him on the wing. They pump it out so so often. He's so oh, he's so fun to watch. But but Diaz to me, like you can control the amount of impact he has on the game by minimizing his number of touches on the ball. It's very simple, but it's very obvious. And that that's to me where where this game will come down as far as what you have to worry about with FC Dallas. And I don't know I don't know that DC has figured out how to how to deny a guy touches. I thought they did against Columbus, and then what happened against TFC made me, made me doubt that a little bit. Well, I think one difference between Iguain on the one hand and Jovinko on the other is their mobility. Iguain is going to stay. He's going to float around, but he's, he's a little bit more deliberate in where he goes, whereas Jovinko just, he, he almost teleports and just shows up somewhere where there's a gap. He shows up where you aren't, and, and TFC know to get him the ball. Is Diaz more of an Iguain? He's mostly going to stay central. He'll flare out when he when he can. But he's is he more mobile like Jovinko, or is he a little more kind of the the guy pulling the strings from the middle of the field? Diaz is a passer. You know, to me, he's, his mm-hmm. his highest end asset is the ability to hit that sick through ball. But you know, be careful with what you say about Iguain and and that type of player. They may not look like Jovinko. They may not be out on the touch and, and this. But Iguain is one of those guys that no matter what your game plan is, he's going to find the pocket. And that's Diaz too to me. It's, you know, it's maybe that classic Argentine 10. Um, they know where the space is. And so it's, I think in, in many ways, uh, to me, yes, it's, it's more Iguain, but it's not, it's not that they're not mobile. It's not that they're not mobile because they're, they may not be mobile like Sebastian Giovinco who at five foot four can cut you and out sprint you and do all this stuff. But their brain makes them mobile. They, they know where you will not be. They know how to find that pocket, and they know how to be effective and really crush you um, if you're not close. So, yeah, the, the more direct comparisons, you're right, is Iguain. But, but don't – they're not, you know, they're not these 
old number 10s who are smoking a cigarette at midfield and, you know, <laughs> they only run in the midfield circle and hit long balls. You know, that's, that's not, that, that's not what we're going to see from Mauro Diaz. So Ben, Sebastian mentioned Fabian Castillo, who I think this year anyway has arguably been even better than Diaz. He's, he's gotten more goals and more assists than Diaz, certainly, and he's been completely unplayable at times coming off of that left wing for, for FC Dallas. And, and the two of them together, because FC Dallas loves to hit you in transition, that's the, the most lethal combination possibly in the league in transition this year. And MLS is a transition league, so that's, that's some high praise, I think. Um, what, do you, what do you think about Castillo? As, as Sebastian said, you can't really limit his touches. He's going to be running at either Chris Korb or, or Taylor Kemp. So what can DC United do to try to contain this guy? Or is it just going to be pray and enjoy watching somebody do something outstanding, even if it is against us? Right. Um, uh, I think we were, we were talking about this uh, privately uh, a little while ago. Uh, I think one of the, the – basically the only thing that DC United can do differently might be to basically man-mark him with Nick DeLeon, and whenever Castillo switches wings, maybe DeLeon switches wings as well, and to help out either Chris Korb or Taylor Kemp, because obviously they're not going to be switching. Um, but obviously, I mean – Chris Rolfe can do a defensive job, but not in the same way that uh, De Leon does. So that's possibly one option. Obviously, uh, Castillo will be seeing a lot of Perry Kitchen and Dave Yardo, uh, assumedly as well. But it's it, it, it'll be a tough tactical battle, and we'll just have to see what Ben Olsen chooses to do. Well, we know on the road, DC United tends to to sit back a little bit more and. And so hopefully Castillo won't have the space and the transition to run into, but United's going to need a, you get the feeling they're going to need at least a goal to get a result in this yeah. one, but they're not going to have Fabian uh, Espindola in this one. He's got that red card from the game in Seattle. So Jason, where do you see the creativity coming from for DC United in this one? Chris Rolfe, he's going to be out there somewhere on the wing or up top, but but outside of those first six games, he hasn't really brought any kind of the creative spark that, especially not that a spindola can provide. So where is Ben Olsen's side going to get, get a goal and get some creativity? Uh, well, I, unfortunately I think that the number one look would be uh, set pieces. Um, United scored a ton of set piece goals this year, um, which is just kind of an old myth um, going back to like the middle of, of the last decade that still, I still hear every once in a while at DC games where, People say DC United doesn't score on corner kicks, and it hasn't happened in forever. I don't know what what game people have been watching, but that's not true. DC scores uh, is one of the best set piece teams in MLS this year. Um, Dallas is kind of vulnerable; they don't have a lot of size. Um, Oscar Pereja's way of looking at players is a little different from what everyone else wants. So Zach Lloyd, who would in a lot of cities be playing as a fullback, plays as a center back. Um, the wide, the, the outside backs are, are converted wide midfielders and recently converted wide midfielders. Um, Javon Watson, Watson, for example, is playing central midfield for Jamaica and he's a, uh, he's been at left back and even center back this season for FC Dallas. So, um, Perea looks at defenders more as a necessity, um, and guys that will help, um, in the passing game more than he does at their actual defensive ability. Um, there's... Other than Atiba Harris and Matt Hedges, it's not a 
there's just not a big team there, and United should be looking at multiple players having a favorable man-marking uh, matchup when they go up for corners. Um, the delivery is still going to be an issue, especially with a spindle and not available. Um, Kemp will need to be more consistent on his corner kicks. Um, and from the run of play, I think Rolf's got to come through. Um, now that the team has had some time off, I'm hoping to see um, him more energized. Um, Nick DeLeon needs to uh, develop a, a little more of a, not, not just a responsibility in connecting the attack, but helping uh, in actually creating goals and assists. We need a tangible product from him right now um, with, a, with a spindle unavailable with Silva, um, that we, you know, Steve Goff reported today that Solo is actually uh, doing some training, not a lot of training, but some of it, which is actually more than I expected. When, when he went down, I, I figured we weren't going to see him for a while just because of what's happened in the past, uh, well, his really his entire career um, has been so injury, mu- especially muscle injury, um, that I just assumed he wasn't going to be available. So if he's around, that could help. Um, but guys like Dalian and Rolf need to step up in a spindle's absence. Um, it can't. United can't just go to Dallas and try and clog the game up and then look for a set piece. They're going to have to create a threat because D- Dallas is good going forward. I don't think they're very good at the back. Um, I think they make some unforced errors. There are a lot of there's a lot of confusion with them. That they, they just look a little like they they haven't spent much time working on defending. Like it's not even really that big of a focus. Um, and that could be philosophical, but that's a, a, a weakness that's there for United to take advantage of. But um, it's going to – it's really going to hinge a lot on what they can do going the other way as to how much they can commit to going forward because um, Castillo pops up on both wings. Um, Pereja doesn't even really – a lot of times we think of Castillo as a left winger, but he's really a winger. Um, Pereja uses him on both flanks all the time. Um, I don't think he really cares. I think it's more of a – it honestly comes to who is he going to be running at today. Um, against United, I think his first look is going to be to play him against Kemp, which kind of takes away one of United's attacking options in the run of play, which is getting Kemp um, up the wing. So um, finding a way to mitigate Castillo and at least make sure that his touches aren't where he's facing goal and at at speed um, will be big because if he's not attacking, United can be a little less defensive and a little playing a little less deep, and all of a sudden a guy like Kemp can get involved. DeLeon or Rolf or whoever's on the wings, they can get a little more involved in the attack. Um, but that's, I think, I think the game almost hinges on that, is whether we're seeing a lot of Castillo attacking or if it's a lot of, like, where's Fabian Castillo? Um, if we're wondering, you know, when is Castillo going to make an impact on the game, it means that United's having the better of it. So I, I mentioned it in the last segment. Bill Hamid is out with an injury. Uh, Steve Goff reported today that, that Hamid's six weeks with uh, some lingering knee and hand injuries, which means Andrew Dykstra is going to step up in this one. Uh, I think he's been good this year, his debut in Costa Rica notwithstanding. Sebi, do you trust Andrew Dykstra to to perform down in Dallas uh, and to, to basically be the team's number one for the next month, month and a half? Today, 100% yes. Four months ago, 100% no. You know, I, but but I think I think that was also kind of the heat of the moment, right? Uh, the, there was so much about that Champions League game that, you know, and a guy, the saying, you're set up to fail, um, kind of his injury yep. before that, his his lack of um, of run, 
Um, the fact that, that the coast, you know, that Alajuelense was, was mid-season, DC United was not. Some of those breakdowns that happened in front of him, uh, you know, weren't him. So, you know, he had a, he had a, you know, he gave up essentially what I would say of those five, two that you say, ah, those were on the goalie. And, you know, goalie giving up two goals in a game of that magnitude is obviously unacceptable. And I, my understanding, my belief is that there was some real concern after that about DC United's number two goalie spot. But I don't think you can criticize Andrew Dykstra one lick for what he's done in the regular season. I think he's been on point, and I know for a fact that some of those calls, some of those games that he started, have been last-minute decisions. You know, and and look, he's a veteran. Um, he he's he's not a young guy, so he should be ready to step in at a moment's notice. And he's been but, a starter before for for right. Chicago. He was their number one. But he's been called into action on 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 without much heads up, and and I you know. It, Every game that I can think of this season, I, I've been not just pleased, but impressed with him. You know, he has he has made some really big saves, um, and, and he's he's really fit in well with that back four. And I think, you know, I, I put a lot of trust in the center backs as well. You know, I, I think when you talk about a guy like Fabian Castillo, you need to be well positioned for when he comes because he will come and he will run it at Taylor Kemp or Chris Corbin, whoever's out there. It doesn't really matter. He will run at them. Um, and when he does, that center back pairing will be called on to clean up some mess or at least, you know, help double down. And I, I really trust those guys, you know, especially Bobby. I think Bobby's, um, you know, you, you can you can say he's lost a step. But I when I watch Bobby Boswell play, I see a guy who reads the game so well, just so well. And I think I think that's a huge boost for whoever is in goal behind him, even if it's Travis War, whoever it is, has to feel confident with a guy like that in front. Um, so I think I think those two guys will be a, a key part of how well Andrew Dykstra plays because if they don't play well, he'll have to clean up a big mess and 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 that's going to be a big ask. Yeah, especially this year when Castillo's finishing has been much better than it has in the past. He's he's had some cheeky finishes that have just been absolutely top shelf this year, and and so you can't just make yourself big because he's been finding a way around you when he's in one on one. Ben, anything else you want to add about FC Dallas? I was just going to add on to that. Just it, uh, also with Boswell playing really well right now, it's also a relief that uh, Steve Birnbaum has found his groove and has been playing really well these past couple of games. Uh, back to his uh, 2014 level, and probably beyond his 2014 level, and his ability to just like put himself in positions to block shots is a little otherworldly sometimes. So. It's good that he's. I mean, Kofi Opare did a great job uh, subbing in for him, but I think at least right now, uh, Birdbomb has a higher ceiling, and the fact that he's back up to uh, pushing that ceiling is also going to be a key factor here. Absolutely, it would be you know to combine what you're saying with what Jason said earlier. It'd be nice to see him find some of the set piece conversion form he had at Cal. Uh, on the professional level, because he was he was really really accurate with his set piece goal scoring when he was a senior in college. I think he he was one of the team leaders in goals. For I the think Golden he Bears. was their leading scorer. Yeah, I think that's um, right. And he only took, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, he took one penalty kick. Um, so he had like ten or eleven goals as a center back, which is preposterous. Even even allowing that he is an exceptional player playing in college soccer, it's still preposterous. Yeah, you as know, a center back, that's crazy. It's interesting, and we were talk. I was talking to Sasha Sarovsky at one of our games. You know, he does our our pregame shows, 
and he and he all he would talk about is Steve Birnbaum in the air on the set piece, how dominant this guy was, and how offensively, not defensively, offensively, he was such a threat. And you know, I'm looking around the roster, and I'm like, well, this guy's good. This guy, Sasha, was very adamant that the best offensive header of the ball on DC United is Steve Birnbaum. The most dangerous threat on set pieces for DC United is always going to be Steve Birnbaum. So you're right. And and he's come really close. I don't I don't he, you know, he has. But it, it's like one of those things where you're just like, well, once one comes, more will come. Um and, and hope you know, hopefully it's it's sooner rather than later because he boy man, I don't know that and, and then once Sasha put that in my head, I start watching and there's a different way Steve moves to the ball in the box. There is an aggression and a directness that um that not a lot of guys on DC United or MLS like in general have. He He's really good at not just being aggressive and the jumping and the heading, but that knack for where the ball's going to go and and ending up there. Yeah, I think one of the reasons, I mean, he he hasn't been clinical at finishing some of his headers. He's had a couple of bad misses, but he gets on the end of a lot of balls that almost nobody else would. And he's not getting enough contact on them to, to put them on frame because their balls anybody else would miss entirely, and he's able to actually get to them. If the service is just a tiny bit better, that might be on goal. That might be a, a goal. So I, I think you're right. I think we are, we're close to seeing Steve break through in, in a big way on the offensive end. Uh, Jason, anything else you want to add before I, I, I grow Sevy on some personal stuff? Uh, I guess the one last thing about FC Dallas that, that comes to mind is – Central midfield, they're they're young, they're good. Um, Victor Rioa and Kellen Acosta are both homegrown players. It's good to see that Dallas, um, with the number of players they produced in the academy, to finally be using them is is a nice sight. Um, but they are young, they're a little inexperienced, and I think uh, Kitchen and I, I'm going to assume Davy Arnold uh, gets the start. Um, they've got, and even if Marcus Halstey starts ahead of Arnold, it, it doesn't really matter. The experience uh, difference between those those two players. Uh, and Dallas's defensive midfield duo is it's significant, and I think we might have an advantage running through there um, just in the mental side of the game. Not to mention, I think um, Acosta's a pretty good athlete, but I think Kitchen would be the um, he would be able to physically dominate that midfield, um, going for 50-50 balls, trying to win things in the air. Um, any any 50-50 challenge whatsoever, I think um, we should be expecting a big outing from him. And I think uh, if we can disrupt Dallas Central in the central midfield, they're going to have a little bit harder time getting the ball to Moro Diaz, which means less of Castillo um, and and less of Diaz, which is also nice. Um, he doesn't always have to pass to Castillo. Um, so it, I think that they're, the conditions of this game, even though Dallas has so many weapons and it's, they seem like an intimidating opponent, um, I actually think DC playing – up to everyone playing up to their ability or possibly stepping up a little bit in terms of Rolf and De Leon. Um, I think it's actually, it can be a pretty favorable matchup, but United needs to dictate the terms pretty early. They can't let Dallas get running. Um, if the game gets high speed and go, starts to be up and down, then you know that's pretty much a, a terrible recipe. But if United can dictate that Dallas isn't going to be able to free up those skillful players they aren't going to be able to use their central midfielders as a, a passing pivot, then all of a sudden I think this sets up pretty well for United. But I, I think we'll know early in this game whether this is going to be a good game or not. I don't think this one's going to be up in the air. Um, in terms of 
who you would expect to win. I don't think we're going to be at the hour mark wondering who's going to take this game. I think it's going to become clear pretty fast. Any chance we see Ben Olsen spring a, a tactical ambush in this one? You remember a couple of years we went to Sporting Kansas City when they were top of the league, and DC United ran out a hard press that they really hadn't done before and won three to nothing. I think I think that game that that press hinged on the fact that Kansas City was so tired. Uh, they spent that entire back half of that year looking like exhausted, like they could barely get from their car to inside the stadium, much less play the games. And I think Olsen saw that and took advantage. Um, I don't think Dallas is going to come in with that um, in place. And I also don't think, like, certain things that we've seen United do this year, like use Michael Farfan um, in a central trio in Vancouver, that's not available. Um, Or or I should say a defensive central trio, because when we attacked, we went with two forwards, and then one would drop off to join Farfan in Vancouver. That's not really on the table um, with the group of players that are available. We know that Farfan isn't isn't back yet, um, so I, th- I think tactically it's going to be a pretty similar United to most of what we what we've seen this season. Um, I think it's it'll be fascinating to see what they can do with a full with a long rest, um, because we we saw at the end of the last barrage of games, not the first barrage, but the second one, that uh, they were pretty much you know mentally gone. The legs weren't there as much, uh, but I think mental fatigue was an even bigger factor, and it'll be interesting to see whether they're refreshed or if they're sort of rusty a little bit. Um, And that'll also be something we find out pretty quickly, I think. All right, Sebastian, I I alluded to some personal grilling, and I got to ask, you spent some time in Houston. I did. With Comcast Sportsnet down there. I gained about 12 pounds when I was in Texas, man. The 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 portion sizes are absurd. I've lost I mean, it. I've everything. lost it. For all the ladies that are listening to this, I have lost <laughs> those 12 pounds. Everything is bigger in Texas, even Seb Nasty. That's right. Um, i I got to ask, though, you were covering the Houston Dynamo day in and day out. Did you develop any distaste, any hatred for the hoops as as a part of that? So, um, I mean, I'm... I, don't I'm not at I'm not going to force you to be unprofessional here because you no, still no no it's interesting I definitely dis, I definitely developed a distaste for Dallas right just in general covering um, the Rockets and the Astros like uh-huh. and just being in Houston all you hear about is Dallas sucks um, and growing up here you know in Washington football country like all I hear is Dallas sucks too so it wasn't hard <laughs> for me to hate Dallas. Um, but I actually have, a, like, one of my best friends from college is a huge FC Dallas fan. I went to a couple games with him. But, yeah, the, the rivalry between um, the two cities is really big. You know, the Dynamo and, and Dallas rivalry took a bit of a, a hit during the time I was there because of the conference switch. Right, um, which I was a terrible I, decision by MLS. Terrible de- I think I think if you, got, if you have natural rivalries um, between cities, you just got to be honest to those. And I, I, I'm not Don Garber. I'm not in his shoes. Somewhere, some, you got to sacrifice at some point, And maybe that was it. But, um, no, I, I, I definitely, you know, the, the thing is I really, en- I've enjoyed watching Dallas play. I, I, I think when they're on, um, especially for the last like year and a half, they've been one of the more exciting teams to watch Castillo and, and Diaz and these guys, like sometimes they suck defensively. But in attack, they're kind of sexy. And so, uh, you know, I can't say I hate FC Dallas, but I, 
you know, I can say that how, just in general, the city of Dallas is not amongst my favorites. <laughs> That's fair. Um, and I got to ask, has this, I know you've appeared on, on pitch pass from time mm. to time. Greg yes. Roach's fantastic show. Um, but, but uh, does, do those scant appearances in this one kind of make you want to scratch that podcast itch that you haven't been able to since Capital yeah. Soccer Show ended? Are you trying to start something right now? <laughs> I, I want to hear you say you're getting back in the podcast. That's all I want to hear. Um, yeah, I tell you what. So it's, it's funny you mention that. Um, yes, I, I definitely do. I have – I've been – uh, yeah, I want to. I want to do something. I'm just figuring out the right way and getting my bosses to approve it. I tell them there's no money in it, so just let me have some fun on the side. But um, <laughs> yeah, I would. I would love to do it. There's some ideas I have about some areas of MLS that aren't nece- haven't necessarily been like touched yet that I think would be would be really cool. So um, and and Roach and I are in constant contact. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. We uh we we have some brainstorming sessions um, on the regular. So. Um, I, I definitely want to get get into the podcasting game. Uh, they don't let me talk. They don't just open the floor for me to talk soccer. So yes, and not yet, not yet, not yet. <laughs> All right, keep fighting the good fight, man. All right. That is it for us tonight. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Sebastian Salazar, for coming on. Um, real quick, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online, the three of them who who don't already follow you. Uh, yeah, so, um, I mean, you, if, yeah, at Sebi Salazar CSN on Twitter, I have an Instagram, but, like, I don't know, I just post, like, pictures of, like, st- me watching soccer games with my mom, so that's not that exciting, <laughs> but, um, if I can plug, you know, CSNWashington.com, we post all of our video stuff, all of our DC United coverage, we got this new monthly, um, show, DC United Central, um, it's a lot of storytelling, right, it's a monthly show, so we can't really talk about last week's game or next week's game, um, but this, this most recent episode, we sat down with a mental coach who actually helps Dave Casper with um, player evaluation prior to the draft, which DC United has had a couple, if not home runs, doubles and triples in over the last few years. Um, and he talked about kind of the identity of DC United and what they look for. That was really interesting. Did a one-on-one with Chris Rolfe. Um, Rolfe's just awesome story, really incredible career. Um, that was carved out kind of out of nothing. You know, he, he wasn't maybe the most highly sought-after kid coming out of Dayton. Um, and then just, you know, some other cool stuff. Santino busts out the Telestrator, and we do some some cool stuff. So, um, yeah, check out all that. And then, you know, games are on CSN, so, so watch the network, <laughs> I guess is what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> all right, find us. We're not on TV yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe someday. Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. someday. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website and links to quite literally everything we publish. Send your uh, emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We accept love letters, hate mail, and advertising inquiries. And that last one has a special significance today, as I'm sure you listeners have all figured out by now. Find us on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. Mostly, though, just tell a friend about the show. We'd really appreciate it if you would. So for Jason and Ben and and thanking Sebastian Salazar and also thanking our sponsor, the Ehrlich Law Office, uh, I'm Adam Taylor. We'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason.